Alrighty, friends, we're back. Your favorite podcast of the week. It's Location Weekly. It's episode number 598. And we're recording on December the 6th. And uh, yeah, how are you, Brianna? What's going on? It's Christmas. It is. Look, you know, I'm like trying to get in the spirit, stay, you know, festive and jolly while, while still working um, in my office. But yeah, it is. And I have not done I haven't even begun my my holiday shopping. I don't know if you have. Uh, a little bit, like not really in earnest yet. I'm. Uh, I think like next week I'm back home. Like so, obviously I'm in a hotel right now. I'm in Miami yeah. at the Immerse Global Summit, uh, which is a big AR VR metaverse conference, uh, talking about you know our little play with ground level insights on that. And um, yeah, so but uh, yeah, I think once I get back to Toronto next week and I'm kind of just I think travel should be done for the year uh then I can kind of focus on getting ready for Christmas and putting up a tree and all those kinds of things so yeah well the city here is like you know it's amazing time to just walk around and see all the lights and all the different storefronts that are decorated so that's been a lot of fun for both me and my family um but yeah like I can't believe that it's almost the end of the year this year has really flown by. Yeah. Did you get any feedback on the H&M store we talked about last week? Not yet. Not yet. I'm still waiting to hear uh, back. I don't know if that happened this weekend, but um, I'll catch up with my friend later this week. So I will probably have something for next week. Um, But I did get to go into the city this week and saw a lot of the lights. You know, we did Rockefeller Center. We went to the Paley Museum of of Media and they had like a whole interactive holiday display there, which was fun. And and just like a really cool place to hear about like the sports and entertainment and the media business. Um, They have all these archives you can kind of comb through. So that was a fun hidden gem. I mean, for me, I'm sure a lot of locals know about, about the Paley Museum. So it was fun. It's like good just to see the city alive again and people out and like everything in full swing, but yeah, I need, I need to get on it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, again, like I'm, I'm hoping to kind of get out and get downtown Toronto, like everything's decorated and up. I just haven't had a chance to, to do it yet. So gotta hopefully, make the time. hopefully next week, got to make the time, got to put in the time. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, we've got a good show for you this week. Four stories, as per usual, a range of things this week, uh, from new tech to um, new ways to do ad targeting and uh, some interesting seasonal uh, efforts on retail. So uh, I'll let Abriana kick us off. Yeah, well, Google's latest Maps update is pretty cool, and they're trying to make the live view feature that lives within their, their map app more searchable, which I obviously like. So the live view function, you know, is giving that urban walking navigation with a 3D overlay, uh, directional overlay. So you can hold up your smartphone. Um, You know, it works by lifting up the camera and you can kind of see like this overlay on top of the real world. Um, So you could find like an ATM or a coffee shop, for example. And it's built off of that street view image that they've had for quite a while. And then they overlay these AR directional arrows to kind of navigate you to the different places. So the live view will show, uh, you know, the whereabouts of businesses. It also has the details like the store hours, um, you know, hours of operation. And they're also bringing this into like the internet of places, if you will. So Google obviously started off primarily as search and now they're bringing search into this like geolocal early days and early investments that we've seen from like lens and live view. And I think that, you know, and some shopping variations too, but 
I'm sure we're going to be discussing more of this in the future. I think it's super, uh, you know, it's, it's a needed feature. This needs to be more expanded specifically for the urban areas and with the high rises, sometimes it's like really hard to navigate and figure out what direction you're going. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, we were in the city this weekend and just like trying to see some of the sites and holiday lights and take the kids in and do that, that stuff. And my husband was mentioning, Hey, I feel like Apple maps is better at navigating. Like when you're in person, um, and Google maps is like a little bit more challenging. And, you know, for me, I'm like, well, Google works really well whenever I'm trying to go somewhere on a different train that I'm not used to, um, and navigating that way. So it's, it's interesting. I like this feature, but I also think that there's good, um, developments that can, can further come from this. So we were, you and I were talking about like integration with Apple watch and kind of having that nudge instead of blatantly holding up your phone, like, hello, I'm a tourist and I don't know where I'm going or trying to figure out where you're going um, and navigating. So I think there's like more iterations to come from this, but overall, I think this is really cool being able to see what's happening in real time, how to get there and what it looks like in the real world versus just like this uh, mark on a, you know, on a two-dimensional map. So uh, I'm excited about this. What do you think? Yeah, completely agree with everything you've said there. Uh, I think this is a great sort of update to to what they already had. Um, you know, I, I'm with you. Like, I use a lot of Google Maps and and um, and ways. You know, when I'm driving or you know when I'm sitting in my hotel room in a new place, like I am right now, and trying to figure out, you know, oh, where where's this restaurant or where's you know the the local CBS or or whatever, and how do I navigate my way there? Yeah, and I think. Um, you know, having these sort of, you know, visual layers, I think is, is really interesting. And obviously I'm at a VR, AR metaverse conference right now. And that's kind of what everybody's talking about, right? Which is, you know, sort of how do we put these sort of visual layers um, uh, on top of the physical world, right? And I think the one big theme I've heard over the last sort of day and a half so far that I've been here uh, is, you know, sort of a, a general movement away from kind of thinking about this this immersive space as something that's only going to exist in a headset um yeah to something that is you know ubiquitously available be it on mobile uh in the browser on desktop or in a headset and you know kind of works across all those environments because i think from a accessibility point of view i i don't see us all sort of just jumping to we're all going to have headsets on right um, you know, and Magic Leap and all these guys are here at this conference exhibiting and showing their stuff, but, um, and I think there's a place for that, uh, but I think that um, there's so much evolution right now in this tech from a, a development and creative point of view, what, be it Unity or Unreal or, you know, whichever environment you're working in, um, that, um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities. And, and I was listening to this, this speaker yesterday from Walmart uh, talking about what they're doing in the metaverse and, and you know, it was interesting because they, you know, it was the age old question of, um, you know, as, as a retailer sort of wanting to build something that is proprietary and, you know, that, you know, Target doesn't have and, and your competitors don't have. And yet, you know, the, the other people were talking about, you know, the need for it to all be sort of shared and open. Um, otherwise, you know, we end up in, in this, this issue of there's no standards and, you know, you know, you can't work across it. And I think that to some extent, that's what we see with Google and Apple here, right? Um, you know, and now obviously the European Union is forcing Apple, for example, to change, you know, their their charging 
ports to be standardized you know, for everybody. You can't, you know, they can't have their own, you know, and Samsung have a different one, right? So um, I think standards are something that, that we need to think about. And I think the same applies to what's happening here with live view and mapping and, and, and you know, VR and AR and, and where we're going there. So, yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, and I like I like the Internet of Places piece, of course, when you're the location-based marketing association, you got to like that. So, all right, on to our second story. Um, so jumping over to the UK now, uh, big uh, grocery retailer Tesco is doing something very interesting uh, as we get into the holiday season here in winter um, and that they're calling the fir their first ever reverse supermarket. So food banks, uh, you know, and homelessness uh, are a challenge, at the, especially this time of year. Um, and um, so they've uh, launched a partnership with a company called Fair Share. That's one word, and it's F-A-R-E Share, uh, and the Trussell Trust. Um, and so Tesco, the supermarket, is going to provide food support for over 1.2 million people throughout the winter. Um, and they've created this pop-up store called the Give Back Express Store. So the shop is on Poland Street. It's uh, it's closed now. It was open November 25th to 27th. So just a kind of three-day pop-up uh, environment in London's West End. And the idea of it was to, you, you go into this store as a shopper and you buy items uh, from the store, which are, and the only items available in this, in the store, are the 25 most uh, needed goods and essential items identified by the charities. Um, and so these include like canned foods and tea and toiletries and pre and other prepackaged donation bags. Um, and so you can just walk into the store and you can buy, you know, from it and know that it's going directly to, you know, uh, help the, uh, the food banks and, and, and those in need uh, from that. So, I mean, lots of grocery stores, lots of, of retailers do, you know, charitable, um, you know, uh, donations, uh, normally. Um, and, you know, I, I know in Toronto where I am, you know, there's always big toy drives and, and boxes to collect, uh, you know, new toys to be given away as gifts to kids who, who couldn't, otherwise their parents couldn't afford to buy them something and things like that and food banks as well. But what I like about this is, is that it's not just, hey, come into the grocery store and, you know, when you're going to cash out, you know, there's 5%, you know, do you want to like make a donation to the food bank or whatever on top of your bill? This is like a dedicated pop-up store where the only items available in the store are items that are actually needed directly by, you know, the, the folks that need it. And, uh, and you can buy those and, and know directly where it's going. So uh, I really like the initiative. I like what they're doing. I hope that they kind of do more of these pop-ups, um, you know, throughout the winter. I think that would be amazing. Uh, they are expecting fair shares forecasting that they will result in more than 13,000 tons of food being redistributed to people this winter. Um, so that's a lot, um, you know, of people getting the help that they need in, in, at a difficult time. So uh, any thoughts on this from you? You know, I love this story. Like, I love all of this. And I think that having that tangible experience where you're going in and actually putting the items in your cart is so great, especially with little ones, letting them get involved and, and letting them know like, Hey, we're going to help people who need food or may not have enough this winter. I think it's just such a special thing. And, um, and like you said, there's something more 
unique about it whenever you're actually putting the goods into the basket that you know someone is going to receive and and I think that that's great I also think that there's like a level of transparency to that where you feel more comfortable like I'm giving this and I know it's going to a good place versus just like rounding up which I love too you know but on the credit card machine sometimes it's just not so um I don't know it's not like an emotional experience and you're not really connecting and thinking and having that moment of gratitude so I really like that um it's just like so simple but yeah I think it's a big impact and that's a lot of food so very excited that um you know Tesco's doing something like that yeah yeah. And I, I just like, I, lo- I like, I look at that and I go like every grocery store, like every major chain, you know, in North America, anywhere should be doing this kind of stuff. Right. Like, especially yeah. this time of year. So. Well, okay. Less emotional story, but maybe something cool <laughs> we'll move on to is place exchange is um, announcing and has rolled out now this new geospatial ad unit for all of its mobility media partners, which are, you know, inclusive of Firefly, Curb, uh, Lyft, Halo, Uber Out of Home, Octopus, Roadrunner Media, there's some others in there. And that inventory now is going to be available to be purchased um, via uh, open web programmatic, private marketplace, or PMP, programmatic guaranteed, and direct IO. So what this means is that they've really built this new programmatic way that marketers can serve their ads across any mobility media inventory that's located within a particular geographic location. So what they're doing is this, it's called hexagonal (laughs) geospatial indexing system. Um, So H3, in essence, is these ads units that they've created and they have the the location-based indexing system that's used by like rideshare apps. So think of how you know, Uber determines a vehicle's location in real time, and they're breaking these larger geographic regions like a city or a suburb into these smaller hexagonal regions and areas that are typically a tenth of a mile in radius. So when you think of a standard DSP or demand-side platform, they still are thinking like a screen is based in one particular region. So you can register one screen, let's say something maybe that's mounted on a vehicle, to one location versus something that's mobile. Um, So this is now a new way of, of kind of flipping, I would say the model on its head in essence, where they're claiming that these geo-based targeting um, is more privacy centric. So it's not necessarily based on a user's device ID like we had been doing for a long time, but now it's uh, any screen that's in a particular given hex, if you will, can, can have that advertising that is you know, brought to that screen. So the company and the media partners now can also place restrictions. You know, We've heard a lot of things about like serving ads near specific locations like places of worship or perhaps medical offices, things of that nature. So now those sensitive locations, they can like make sure they're not serving ads in that specific area or, um, you know, almost negative, they're calling it negative geofencing. So they're kind of suppressing specific areas and brands can advertise around, you know, the areas that they want to, but eliminate those that they don't, which I think is actually a really cool um, idea and concept as well. So these media owners can work with third-party mobile measurement companies, and they'll be able to calculate how many impressions are within a certain region or, you know, geofence or hex, if you will. So, you know, for example, this could be audited by like a Reveal Mobile and other partners that are out there. Um, so they've been testing, Place Exchange has been testing these, these ad 
units and this ad solution for the past 18 months. And now they've been rolling it out slowly over six months over this network of media partners. And it's live across all of the DSPs are integrated with now. So I think this is really cool. I mean, I'm actually excited about this approach. I think this is needed, right? To understand that screens are moving as well as people. So how do you look at that intersection and that that kind of woven, um, you know, way there's there's no like set uh, specific location that's not moving, whether that's, you know, we think about serving ads to a television or maybe just the mobile device that's moving. Now you've got the moving screen as well as moving people and it's looking at the intersection of that. So this is truly like that intersection of people, places and media. And I yep. think it's a really unique approach. Love it. I absolutely love it too. And if you remember way, way back in the early, early days of the LBMA when we used to do, you know, all those, what we called creative collaborations, these little shows, like experimental projects uh, between member companies, you know, we tested in New York with uh, a bus that had, uh, you know, a, a live billboard on the side of the bus with, you know, digital, uh, digital advertising on the side of a bus. And we, you know, as the bus was driving through and stopped at an intersection at a, at a red light, uh, we in real time pulled at that time, you know, four square users uh, that were um, logged in that were, you know, in proximity to the bus. And then based on the profile of those users, then changed the ad on the, on the bus in real time. And that was, I'm talking like eight, nine years ago, um, completely experimental. We didn't kind of, you know, do anything with it in terms of scaling it, but it was just more to prove kind of, you know, what's possible. And what I lo love about this story is that, you know, as you said, it, it, you know, we're, we're used to sort of targeting people based on ad IDs and, and all of that, but it, you know, and, and there's kind of been a general movement towards uh, you know, building personas and audience cohorts and, and targeting, you know, from that framework. But in a way, what we're talking about here is, you know, almost building personas, you know, for areas, for neighborhoods, uh, as opposed to individuals. Um, and, and then kind of doing this matching exercise between, you know, the persona of the, of the, of the people uh, that are there and, and, the, and the area itself. And then, you know, sort of blocking out sensitive areas or things like, you know, where you can't run advertising for certain things like cannabis or whatever. Um, you know, so, so I think that's super interesting, you know, and I, I don't know if you remember Darren Clement way back in the day, uh, Brianna, but um, as you were talking, I was thinking back to those, those early days of the LBMA and, you know, companies like Maponics that were, you know, had predefined geofences, you know, based on, you know, certain areas. Um, you know, or shopping districts or school zones or things like that. You know, so I think the concept of what, you know, the place exchange is doing here is, you know, something that has been around for a while. I mean, even when you when you think about hex areas, if you think about companies like Place IQ, right? You know, there's original system was a grid-based system of, you know, sp you know, spaces, uh, you know, taking the US and bringing it, breaking it down into into a grid. And then you know, looking at movements inside of that particular you know area, uh, and then being able to target against that. So the concept, I think, of what I see here is 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 not new, but their approach to it and kind of how they match, you know, real time movement uh, of of screens with you know the what I'm calling the persona of a of a neighborhood or an area, uh, I think is super fascinating, and I think you know the, there there's a lot that can be done with this. So I, I'm excited about it.
Yeah, interesting. You mentioned both Maponics and Place IQ, which were both acquired by the same company. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there you go. So there's a reason. There's a method to that madness, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, yeah, excited for that. Love to see how how that evolves over time. So. All right, on to our final story now. So this one's a little bit different. Uh, we're going to talk about Unilever, but not Unilever as as most people know it in the sense of you know the products that are on the shelves per se, but more how they're using uh, AI and and location tech uh, to really impact what's going on in their supply chain. And um, it's interesting, like obviously you know prices are skyrocketing for goods and inflation is, is driving a lot of that. And we have labor shortages and we have all these things that are happening right now that are impacting us as consumers. Um, but some of that, you know, I think is, is tied to challenges that these major um, consumer goods companies are dealing with in their supply chain. And so they wanted to really transform and have, you know, better understanding of what's going on uh, in their supply chain. Uh, and so they're, you know, really going tech heavy uh, and getting savvy about that in terms of what they're doing. So uh, they're trying to achieve uh, deforestation free supply chain for their palm oil, paper and, and board and tea and soy and cocoa products by the end of next year. So that's that's uh, ambitious, uh, I think, in terms of timelines. Um, they want to have better traceability and transparency in, in across the supply chain and sustainability uh, goals that they've they've set out. They want to empower farmers and uh, smallholders and communities and landscapes that Unilever works with. Um, you know, so I, I think this is really interesting. And so what they're doing is um, starting with uh, Google Cloud, uh, which Unilever calls their command center. Um, so they have a 360 degree view of their entire supply chain uh, where they've combined over 40 years of continuous satellite imagery along with data storage and machine learning to monitor all their mills, their landscapes, uh, their farms. Um, they can um, estimate uh, which farms and plantations are supplying the mills. Uh, and they're also using anonymous mobile location signal data of traffic patterns uh, from mobile devices um, to detect any potential sourcing issues or, or breakages uh, in their system. Um, they're using AI uh, to analyze satellite imagery to detect any changes in tree cover. Um, so this is in areas in Southeast Asia in particular, where they have heavy cloud cover. Uh, they can determine how much carbon is stored by forests and, you know, and you know, what trees, you know, uh, what the tree canopy looks like and things like that and the impact on, on palm oil and, and things like that. So they're really trying to, you know, use uh, AI and location and GPS and satellite technology to really understand, uh, you know, kind of what's going on, be more uh, predictive in, in their supply chain and understand the impact um, on the end consumer uh, and their product at store and be able to kind of, you know, plan ahead uh, for any potential shortages or, or things like that. And at the same time, you know, achieving uh, sustainability goals that, that they have around this. So um, I think this is super interesting. Um, you know, I think we're seeing more of these big sort of consumer packaged goods companies, you know, take this approach. Um, and I think at the end of the day, I think one of the things, you know, it's great to do all of this, but I think one of the things that, you know, we've talked about a little bit on this show over the years is, you know, how much of that, you know, great work that they're doing around sustainability and, and, uh, and, and these types of things is, 
visible to the end consumer? Like, you know, are, are, are they, you know, sharing this out on social media that this is, this is how the company is operating and where they're going? Are they putting things on their packaging, you know, that you can scan the QR code with AR, you know, and, and, and see, you know, get a, get a look into the supply chain and see the farmer, you know, that grew that thing and, and, you know, whatever. So um, I think, you know, there, there's some linkages there that need to happen, but uh, I, I certainly applaud, you know, their efforts and their use of technology here. Yeah, I think this is super intriguing use of technology. Um, and I wonder what the impact's going to be on the end product. Like how, how much are they going to be able to reduce their use of palm oil or whatever it may be. Um, but I think that it's great that they're investing in it. It's, it's almost like a little bit too good to be true, you feel like, right? <laughs> but um, I, I do think that it's important and it's really hard as a consumer to monitor everything, every ingredient that goes into the products that we use. But I do think that it's so important. And if we can help invest in and purchase and have loyalty to those brands that are taking these efforts and are reducing harmful product, harmful, um, you know, chemicals or, or pieces of the product that we're consuming that are either harmful to us as consumers and, you know, human beings or to the world, right? And, and climate and, and the environment and all of those uh, very important things. I think it's great. So um, I, again, like you said, I applaud the efforts that they have and I hope that we hear more about it and that it's, um, you know, not only shared from a way to, to increase their revenue and increase their brand loyalty and standing with consumers, but also just like what's happening in our world, so. One can help. There you go. Good, good job, Unilever. All right. So that's our show for this week. Uh, four stories, um, some some good things going on there. Um, and uh, as always, uh, we thank you for your time, for listening, for watching. If you have story ideas, we want to hear about them. If you have new products that uh, are in the location or geo uh, ecosystem, uh, let us know about them. We'd love to talk about it. Um, and, um, yeah, um, we'll be back next week with another show, but, uh, in the meantime, give us some likes some love on whatever podcast platform you're consuming this and we'll see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.